Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good morning. Have you ever had one of those situations where you're looking for something, um, but you just can't see where it is? Yes. You know, yeah, <laughs> I think we all have. You know, you know that it's right there. It might be one of those situations where you just put it down two seconds ago, or you put it in a safe place. But now that you're looking for it, you can't find it. This happens quite a lot in our house. Um, I'm sure it's a scenario that lots of you will recognise. It goes a bit like this. Someone is clearly looking around for something um, and they're opening cupboards, they're looking in the fridge, they're moving things around and it's quite quiet, it's quite peaceful to begin with and then gradually the tempo raises and you watch as somebody's getting more and more frustrated. We can all see and hear that it's happening. So someone else in the house offers to help. What are you looking for? Um, They explain what they're looking for. uh, And the other person says, oh, yeah, it's on the table in the kitchen. No, no, it's not there. I've looked there already. But they turn and they go back dutifully to the kitchen to look for this item. And the rest of the household listens on as you hear the person. Where is it? I can't find it. Can't find it. Um, And eventually the other person says, do you want me to come and look well I don't know what difference that will make I can't find it it's not here we all do it don't we Uh, the scenario usually ends when the second person goes into the kitchen and picks up the item off the table where it has been sitting in plain view the whole time you see sometimes we just can't see what is right in front of our eyes and I think it's an experience that we all have and it's an experience that we all find incredibly frustrating It's even more frustrating when what you're trying to see is Jesus. We know that he's there. People around us tell us that he's there, but we just just can't see him for ourselves. And I I know that I've had that experience myself. I know that I've been in that place. A couple of years ago, as many of you know, we decided as a family to have a go at being foster carers. And it was both a great hugely rewarding and fantastic experience and simultaneously it was the most difficult thing that I've ever done and in the midst of that dealing with the day-to-day issues of the children of their extended families the pressure of working with social services the constant demands of more training tick more boxes fill in more forms somehow in the midst of that I lost sight of where Jesus was And that was a really uncomfortable place for me to be. I couldn't engage with him uh, in the way that I was used to doing. Everything that I would usually do that would bring me into the experience of the presence of the risen Jesus Christ felt like hard work. And afterwards, I described it to people as it felt like I was walking through a thick fog. I couldn't see what was around me. And it was a huge relief when I finally felt like the fog was lifting and I could see Jesus again. And this morning we're looking at a passage where there are two people 
who are unable to see Jesus, even though he's right there walking, talking, and obviously eating with them. We're going to look at why they couldn't see him. We're going to look at what Jesus did to help them see him and how they responded when they encountered the presence of the risen Jesus. And my hope is that by looking at these things, we're gonna, that's going to help us when we have those times when finding Jesus is difficult. We've been looking at this series of meals that Jesus had with people um, found in the book of Luke. And today we're actually going to be jumping forward a little bit. So we're jumping forward to after Jesus' death and to the day of his resurrection. But don't panic because we are going to go back and look at those other really important meals that happen right before in the days running up to Jesus' uh, death. But right now we're looking at the day of his resurrection. Um, This particular story, this is actually one of my favourite stories of Jesus. Um, It kind of spans two meals, actually, so I'm being a bit greedy, two meals, um, and I'm being even more greedy because I'm going to ask you to indulge me because to really understand what's happening at this meal, we have to start before the meal itself. So we're going to read, we're going to start at Luke chapter 24, verses 13, verse 13, that very day. Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognising him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he, Jesus, said to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Here comes the meal. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognised him. 
and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, it didn't last very long that meal, did it? And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, here's the second meal, have you something here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. I really love this story. I love it. The more I read this story, the more I think about it, the more I see in it. There's so much detail, there's so much that we can learn from this account of two people encountering the risen Jesus. It was, wasn't very easy to choose one thing to focus on, but I want us to look at that central theme of encountering the risen Jesus. A little bit of background to the passage. During the previous years to this, Jesus had been hanging out with his disciples and, and also with a larger group of people that had gathered around him that to hear him teach, to receive healing, to learn from this rabbi, this spiritual teacher. And the two people in this story, they're part of that wider group. They're not right in the centre, but they've known Jesus. They've been around him. The disciples and all of these others, they've been listening to what Jesus has said. They've seen the things that he's done. And they've begun to wonder amongst themselves, is this the one? Could this man actually be the Messiah that they've been waiting for? Was Jesus the one who was going to bring freedom and salvation to Israel? But then Jesus is arrested, tortured, killed on the cross. And all, all of their hopes and their dreams just seem to be shattered. So they hunker down together. All of those that followed him, they're afraid. They're afraid for their own safety. They're confused. They're disappointed. They're grieving. And then on the third day, some of the women go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with the herbs and the spices. And they come back with this incredible story. His body's missing angels saying that he's risen. In the books of Matthew, Mark and John, they actually see Jesus. And everyone's left in a state of confusion and uncertainty. And our story happens that same day. The day that Jesus rose from the dead, the, the passage says that very day. And we don't know very much about these two people who Jesus appeared to, except we know that one of them was a man called Cleopas. The other one, we don't know, man, woman, child. We don't know who it was. Two people. 
That's the background. The first thing that I want us to take special notice of in this story is, is where it happens. See, after Jesus had risen from the dead, the women had seen him in the garden. This is the first account of Jesus appearing to anybody. And I think, I think it's really significant that this happens in such a normal, everyday context. Two people walking down the road going home. Jesus is with them. Two people get home and have their dinner. Jesus is with them. Jesus doesn't choose to show himself first in some holy place like a temple. He doesn't even choose to appear first of all in a prayer meeting or a worship meeting where the disciples are gathered looking for him and wondering where he is. That's not what Jesus does. These people who Jesus appears to, they're certainly not looking for him. They're not praying. They're actually broken. They're disappointed. They're sad. They're trying to figure out what on earth has just happened. And Jesus appears outside the temple, outside the church, in an everyday situation to normal people who are feeling sad. Jesus appears out there, not in here. And I think that's still what Jesus does today. I think that sometimes, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can fall into the trap of thinking that we will meet with Jesus, we'll experience him most in special contexts. In a church gathering like this, at a Christian conference, in a prayer meeting and so on. But I'm not sure that that's the way that Jesus intends it to be. In fact, I'll be honest, I'm actually convinced that that's not the way that Jesus intends it to be. Jesus wants to meet us whenever and wherever we are. And for me, on a personal level, some of my most profound encounters with the risen Jesus Christ have been in really normal circumstances. They've been when I'm washing dishes or when I'm going out for a walk or when I'm changing a baby's nappy, doing normal things, everyday things, and Jesus meets with me. I want to tell you a story that a friend shared on Facebook this last week um, about his postman, because I think it demonstrates what I'm talking about here. I think we've got it on the screen. So the postman said, I've always prayed but I'd never really told anyone. In lockdown, I hit rock bottom. I was in the park walking my dog. I met a pastor. We do Bible studies in the park with the dogs. Now I'm a Christian. I've told my workmates. I listen to my Bible app as I walk and it uplifts me. And my friend said, a busy, bruised postman finds hope in a hopeless moment. It's Jesus. A busy, bruised pastor out walking his dog still has the time and heart to see the person in front of him and offer a hand of friendship. The postman and the pastor, they both encounter Jesus in the park walking their dogs. Jesus meeting someone in the everyday, just like he does in this story. And for me personally, I find that really encouraging. Encounters with Jesus happen out there, not just in here. When Jesus catches up with these two people, 
on the road, begins walking with them. We're told that they're kept from recognising him. There's only one person who could keep them from recognising Jesus, and that's God himself. So why? Why does God stop them from recognising straight away who it is that they're talking to? Well, I mean, I guess there could be lots of reasons, couldn't there? Jesus' resurrection body, it might have looked different. We don't know. might have looked different to what his normal body looked like. But later on, when other people saw him, they did recognise him. What's going on there? Perhaps it was just so out of context for them because they believed that he was dead. Their little human brains couldn't compute that here he is. Now, interestingly, my experience has been the opposite to that. There's been a couple of occasions where I've had someone who I've known quite well has died. And my little human brain thought I saw them everywhere I went. Maybe it's like sometimes when you see someone in a completely different context and you just don't recognise them. We've all done it, haven't we? It's really embarrassing. Um, You walk straight past someone because you're not expecting to see them in that context. Uh, Phil and Hannah and Sophie and I bumped into a couple from our church on a beach in Wales and I literally walked straight past Pete because I wasn't expecting to see him there and it was only when I saw his wife Lizzie as well that my brain caught up and was like oh my goodness I know these people they're in our community group kind of thing and that was very embarrassing But whatever the logistics or the reason behind this incident, um, on the road and at the dinner table, the fact is that God prevented these two from recognising Jesus straight away. Well, why? Why did he do that? He must have had a reason. And um, John Bloom, who's going to appear on here, here he is, John Bloom, uh, he writes for the website Desiring God, and he says this, why do you suppose... These two men were kept from recognising Jesus for hours. The clue, I think, is in verse 25. Jesus called them foolish and slow of heart to believe the scriptures. Their outward ability to recognise Jesus mirrored their inward unbelief of what the scriptures revealed about him. Now, Jesus fully intended to help them see but notice the priority of Jesus' revelation. Before he opened their physical eyes, he purposed to open their heart eyes. Why? Because it was of utmost importance that they walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Gospels, when I read these stories of Jesus, the accounts of his life, I think, wow, I wish that I could have been there. I wish that I could have seen him face to face in his human body as as a person. I wish I could have touched him. It's easy to think, isn't it, that it must have been so much easier for them to believe because they could see him, talk to him, get their hands on him, smell him. If we experienced that, we would never lose sight of him. We'd never wonder where he was. But the people in this passage, they, they had seen Jesus in person. They knew him. But here he is walking with them, eating with them, and they can't see him. See, God knew. God knew that in the period of time that we're living in right now, the period of time between his resurrection 
and the time when he comes again and his kingdom is established fully, there would be the church, there would be you and me. Generations of believers who would not have Jesus bodily present with them as proof or to guide them. Generations of believers who would have to walk by faith. Generations of believers who would have to find Jesus, to see Jesus, to experience Jesus, not through his physical presence as a person, but in other ways, through the word of God, through the experience of his presence as revealed by the Holy Spirit. These two people, they needed to believe, they needed to have faith. They needed to know from scripture who Jesus was and that Jesus was with them. And that is the case for us too. In those moments when we can't see Jesus, when we're not able to experience his presence for whatever reason, and even when we can experience his presence, we need to know who he is in other ways. John Bloom on the next slide goes on to say, when God ordains things to happen that are contrary to our expectations, like Cleopas not expecting Jesus to die, those are the times when we're tempted to doubt his word, to lose faith, and as a result, to lose sight of him. But not being able to see him doesn't mean that he isn't there walking with us. We may not recognise him, those are the times, those are not the times to neglect the word. Rather, those are the times to spend hours looking. That's where you will begin to recover your sight. So as they walk in their state of sadness, in their lack of understanding of what has happened, what is it that Jesus does? Jesus takes them back to the scriptures. He takes them back to this book. He explains how it all points to him. You see, it does speak of Jesus. Wherever you look in this book, it speaks of Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament, it all speaks of Jesus and points to him. That's why so often here at CCM, when you hear us preach, we will be talking about Jesus. Even if we're looking at a story in the Old Testament that doesn't directly mention him, we talk about Jesus because it all points to him. Jesus can be found in the Bible and it's really important that we spend time looking at that, learning what it means to find him there. We need to have understanding and knowledge. We need to be able to find Jesus in the word of God, to know that he's with us, even when we can't see him and feel him. That's what got through me through those months. I knew it was true, read it there. We need to be able to live by faith. And often it's that, that understanding, that head knowledge, which then is able to lead us into the experience. Because the presence of Jesus is more than just head knowledge. A relationship with God was always meant to be more than just simply an academic exercise. It's not what it is. We're meant to encounter the risen Jesus. And that's why the Bible uses phrases like taste and see that the Lord is good. 
And as we look through scripture, we see time after time where people see God, they hear God, they have some kind of physical response to his presence with them. It's normal for our bodies to respond to the presence of God. Jonathan Edwards puts it like this. Let us imagine a man who has begun to understand how real God and eternity are. Should we be surprised if he cries out or feels weak and faint or even experiences bodily pains? Not unless we are very ignorant. He doesn't mince his words, does he? And he goes on to say, a man's strength may be taken away when he catches a glimpse of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the greatness of his dying love. We all admit that no man can see God and live, that our mortal bodies could stand no more than the smallest taste of the glory and love of Christ. God sometimes gives his saints real foretastes of heaven. It's not surprising, therefore, if they're made to feel faint. The Bible tells us that when John saw a vision of Jesus, he fell at his feet as if dead. John the Baptist responded to the presence of Jesus when both Jesus and John were still in their mother's wombs. Saul fell to the ground as he heard the voice of Jesus on the road to Damascus. In Acts, when we see the disciples first being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's the main way that we experience the presence of Jesus now, their reactions were clearly physical because people thought that they were drunk. So we shouldn't be surprised. In fact, actually, we should expect that we will respond physically when we encounter Jesus in the word of God as we worship and through the Holy Spirit within us. As those who follow Jesus, who are his disciples, we're meant to see him to experience him, to have a living, vibrant relationship of love with him. Our relationships with Jesus are meant to be felt and experienced. His presence has an effect on us. These two people, as they walked, they didn't even know that it was Jesus who they were speaking to, but they felt something. Their hearts burnt within them. And then when they saw him break bread as he ate with them, their eyes were opened. They remembered where they'd seen that before. Everything that he told them through about the scriptures, everything that they'd seen in his life, it comes together. And they recognise that this is Jesus with them. This is an encounter with the risen Jesus. So what is their response? What's their response to experiencing, encountering the manifest presence of the risen Jesus with them? Well, I see two things in this passage that they do. The first thing is their response before they've even recognised who he is. They urged him to stay with them. They urged him strongly, says. Now, there might be lots of reasons why for that. Uh, it's culturally appropriate. It was late at night could be that they were so stirred and enjoying his company so much that they didn't want him to go on. They didn't want the experience to end. But whatever the reasoning is, 
What an amazing response that is. It's the right response to Jesus being with us, to want more. What is our natural experience, our natural reaction when we experience something good? We want more, don't we? We do. A few years ago, we had uh, some friends, a family who we spent a lot of time with. uh, And they had three kids and the eldest was called Ethan. So cute. He's so cute. He would be 12 or 13 now. Um, So, but this was him when he, when we knew him about age five or six. Ethan was, as you can see, a really happy, smiley, jokey, fun little boy. But there was one thing which was absolutely guaranteed to have him bursting into floods of tears, devastated like it was the end of the world, every single time, going home. (laughs) If you were at his house and now it's time for you to go home, he would sob his heart out. If he was at your house and now it's time for him to go home, he would sob his heart out. He just wanted to be with you. He wanted to stay with you. He hated the idea of being separated from the people that he was enjoying time with. On a number of occasions, he hid in the car as we were trying to leave. And you drive to the end of the drive and you're like, there's an extra child in the boot. (laughs) That kind of thing. He was desperate to stay with you, desperate for more of your presence, whoever you were. Our response to the presence of Jesus should be like that. When we know that he's with us, when we experience his presence, our natural response should be, don't leave Jesus, stay with us. Our first response to encountering Jesus should be that we want more and that we choose to be with him. We just sang about it, didn't we? We sang, I will go where, run when you call, I will go where you are. I will lay down my life to be at your side. That should be our response to the presence of Jesus. That's what being a disciple is. Uh, John Ortberg, I'm quoting all the Johns today, I realise. Every quote is somebody called John. So, Um, John Ortberg says this, to make someone your rabbi was fundamentally a choice about being with him. A disciple was someone who had chosen to be with his rabbi as much as possible in order to learn everything he could from him. Our response to Jesus' presence should be to continue to choose Jesus' presence. The second thing that these two do, I don't think there is a script, I don't know why I'm looking, I don't think there is, sorry if I'm confusing you at the back. Uh, The second thing that these two do in response to having encountered Jesus is that they told other people. They immediately wanted to share this experience with other people. The passage says, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now, just hang on a minute. We don't know exactly where Emmaus was, but it's reckoned, it's said that it, they, it's, the passage says it's seven miles from Jerusalem. So it's going to take them, what, I mean, how fast do you walk? Two, three hours to walk seven miles? It was already late in the evening before they started eating. So these two people are so keen to share their experience that they're walking through the countryside in Israel in the middle of the night to get back to their friends and tell them. When we meet Jesus, we should be so stirred to share him with those around us. 
It's not about being able to explain deep theological truths. It's about sharing our experience of the person and the presence of Jesus. It's about introducing him to others. When these two people tell the others about their encounter with Jesus, Jesus responds. He shows himself to those others. Not only that, but he proves to them who he is, that he's real. He shows them his hands and his feet. He lets them touch him. And then he demonstrates his reality by asking for food and having another meal in front of them. And that is very encouraging to me. Again, lots of things in this passage are very encouraging to me because it demonstrates that our responsibility is just to share Jesus. And his responsibility is to reveal himself and convince people of who he is. And that is what he does. So I guess my question would be, are those my responses when I encounter Jesus? Are those your responses when you encounter Jesus? Do we want more? Do we choose to remain with him, to experience more? Are we keen to share Jesus with others, to tell others of the amazing thing that has happened with us as we've encountered the risen Jesus? As we conclude, what is it that we've seen in this particular meal with Jesus, this particular encounter? Jesus chooses to meet us in our everyday situations, however we're feeling. It's not limited to when we're in church or at a conference or in a prayer meeting. It's not limited to when we feel great or even to those times when we're particularly looking for him. Jesus will meet us wherever we are, however we're feeling. We need to have a head knowledge and an understanding of who he is and that he's present with us so that we're able to walk by faith. But that in turn helps us to experience his presence. And that's something that also we should expect. And then when we do encounter him, when we have met with Jesus, our response needs to be both to want to seek after more and also to share it with others who might not have had that encounter yet. <laughs>